this week's Merge Conflict, we're talking about ORMs, Object Relational Mappings. When you outgrow shared preferences, it's time for a database. So why do you even want an ORM? What are they? How do you use them? And what are the most popular ones out there? All this and more on this week's Merge Conflict. James, I made a mistake. Last Friday, I started writing another ORM. I mean, an object relational mapper from scratch. I'm an idiot. I'm such an idiot. I shouldn't be writing this kind of stuff. But it made me think that maybe now's a good time to talk about ORMs and if we use them, how we use them, and why the heck I started writing my own again. Oh, the good old ORMs. You know what actually happened, Frank, is five years ago, I met a I met a, a young whippersnapper named Frank Kruger <laughs> at a bar in Bellevue. And not only did we talk about um, preferences, he goes, hi, my name is Frank Kruger. And I go, Kruger Systems, Inc. And he goes, that, yeah, that's, that, that's me. And I remember this little ORM that I've used for about the last five years since I've been a Xamarin developer. It's called SQLite-Net. And it's the one of the original mobile ORMs that I used. And not only did I fall in love with Frank, but I've been using your libraries forever. It was a really lightweight ORM. And you know what? I, I, when I worked at Canon, we were all about ORMs. We were all about... Um, we were just talking, uh, that when you create a database in big enterprise, it's like, Hey, okay. So I'm going to have an I business entity and then a business entity base. And then I'm going to have a database and a data manager and a repository. I'm going to have these 18 layers on top of my ORM, which also has all these other 18 layers <laughs> in case for some reason, Frank, I may switch out your SQLite, you know, ORM with another ORM, but I have 18 layers deep. You can't create a good database unless you have at least eight layers on top of it. That's my, that's my analysis. I heard that. That's ancient Chinese wisdom, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> oh layers. boy, have, boy, have I changed over the last five years, <laughs> so uh-huh. let me tell you, but um, I've never created an ORM from scratch. So I am, I'm actually curious about, you know, I've definitely accessed low level um, SQL commands mm-hmm. and just, you know, did some stuff like that. And that's a dirty, that, it makes me, it makes me feel wrong, right? Whenever I have to execute <sighs> SQL, I just don't feel good about myself. So it, uh. it's not that I don't think you should feel wrong. I, I have no problem writing pure SQL. Uh, in fact, the ORM you're mentioning SQLite, um, it, it specifically has all these escape, escape hatches for people to write raw SQL because every object relational mapper, anytime you're trying to do something fancy and tricky, like bring all these objects in the database into memory, there's a million ways you can do it. And there's a million decisions that ORM authors had to make in how that actually happens. And so I think you, A, we as authors always have to give that release valve for SQL. And B, SQL's fine. I like SQL. I think it's a good language. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, at this point, the nice thing about SQL is that, and there's a lot of documentation or there's a lot of samples. It, it's not like it, the API has changed all that much. If you want to star and just create a table, like that's pretty much familiar. If you want to go <laughs> get the top 10, that's pretty familiar at this point. Mm-hmm. I just don't do it every day. I'm like, I'm not a DBA, you know, database yeah. administrator. So I don't feel good about going and I guess like if I'm going to go and just query things and not actually modify data in the database then I feel okay with it, but I'll tell you this much, like I don't feel comfortable connecting to a remote database like I did for, um, the evolve app. Like I can Mm -hmm. change values in a grid, but I do not feel comfortable running SQL commands against a live Mm -hmm. database. Like that scares me. Like, (laughs) 
yeah one the, little syntax you can have a drop table or that wouldn't happen but you can easily have a delete from user oops there goes all the users yeah yeah, yeah. so there's some tricks to sql but and, and you can do permissions and things to kind of protect yourself from that but for me part of the whole not wanting wanting to run a large database has always been the progression of that database over time and so I'm talking about create table, adding indices, deleting indices, creating mm-hmm. views if you have a powerful database, all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that really freaks me out. Yeah, I created my first views for the Evolve app. We were doing some, uh, we were doing some Power BI work, and you have to create Ooh. these views so Power BI can pick things up. And and Mayur goes, I just like create this view thing and do this thing. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so confused. <laughs> You're talking gibberish. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I've 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 gone out and over the years, I used to use we used to use SQL, like SQL SQL, when I worked at Canon. When I started at Seton, I got to pick whatever I want for mobile and I went with SQLite Net. But I've also tried a lot of other um, ones that are not ORMs, um, which is like ADO.net. I've executed just the raw commands, um, which is something that like Xamarin ships. I think there is an ORM sure. that goes over it, but it's it's really simple. It's like, hey, I'm going to create a table and it's going to be called items yeah. and it has an integer and it has an ID and then I'm going to go get those st- things. I'm going to order by. It's a very uh, fluent API. I mean, to be honest with you, like those calls back and forth. Um, but I'll tell you this much. I, once I started using SQLite net, like I never wanted to like use anything else. Cause when I can go in and just say, um, use like a link query, I think that's what like blows my mind, right? If I just do the link query and then it handles it all for me, then I don't have to worry about it ever again. Like that's, that's what I want. That's what it kind of delivered to me. And it kind of blew my mind. So I can go in and be like, Hey, you know, let me just get, um, get all these new members based on this and order by and it's just like good right that that's what we want that's what i want yeah uh sqlite-net i love telling people i wrote it in a couple hours because i did but it came because i was a web web app developer for a few years and at that point i had tried pretty much every orm out there and i had opinions about every orm out there and it always came down to i just kept writing my own very simple very very simple layer on top of adio.net which is mm-hmm. the thing baked into .net it's actually really good i like a lot of parts of it it just it doesn't do everything for you there was still a lot of boilerplate code that i would write And so I got used to writing little libraries that at least added that little bit of boilerplate code. And so SQLite Net is basically that. It's the lightest possible ORM you can have because I really believe SQL is good enough. So you mentioned um, the query language support, which Mm -hmm. wasn't even in V1. (laughs) But to me, it's like almost like I need to have it now. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to do intersections or do anything, I can't live without it. I mean, yeah. well, I would like to say, like, you know, w- what happens if you don't have an ORM, right? People are coming in yeah. maybe to, like, before you even think if you need a database, this is like, I want to step back. I want to, I want to mm-hmm. unravel. We, we've been, I've been, we've been packaging this pretty ORM. We've wrapped it. We've put a bow on top, but let's unwrap it and let's go back to the beginning, right? We haven't even started wrapping okay. it. When people start development today, they go, I need a database. Like, do I need a database? What is a database? How do I get started with a database? And that's like, you're just learning a mobile platform. Like that's confusing. So I always start with, do you need a database question mark? And why are you trying to create a database? 
I, I, I want to take a, a step even farther back. So when we start to design our apps, we tend to just start writing its in-memory data structures. Mm-hmm. And as long as we stay in our programming language world, we can create objects, objects that reference other objects, objects we can throw away objects. We have garbage collectors. They get automatically deleted. Uh, the whole programming language is designed around this concept. And it's it's easy to write code. Basically, an app um, that you're just dealing with memory on the machine running on the server is super trivial to write. Mm -hmm. So then for me, the question becomes, okay, that state of that app, all that memory it's writing to, do I need to persist that? Does it need to survive the the server shutting down and coming back up? Yeah. Or like, what do you, what do do you want to happen when, yeah, your app, when it shuts down and restarts. So a good example of that is um, when I, when I built meetup manager, which goes out to meetup.com and pulls down the APIs, I, I said, this entire app is going to be stateless. Um, the user information, I don't store in a database because I just put it in settings, like the user's token, all that stuff are just in secure settings. Like okay. you don't need to create a whole database and a table to store simple, um, ints and booleans and strings. Sure you do, but okay. Please continue. I mean, to me, because it's, it's a single user for this app that's logged yeah, in. Yeah. I don't need yeah, yeah. this complex sure. information. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was easy enough. You know, and some people will think maybe I can just write things to disk. And I usually say, well, if you start to think that, oh, I have this JSON, I want to write it to disk, mm-hmm. then probably you probably want to put it in a database because accessing a SQLite or a SQL database is always going to be most likely faster than reading that off a disk, pulling it in, deserializing it, et cetera, et cetera. So what I do is none of the events that the user creates are persisted, but every time people check in on the application, I persist that information. So what happens is, is they go into tomorrow's meetup, right? So they're in Seattle tomorrow and they're going to go to the meetup that Frank's doing. Frank goes in, taps on it, it downloads that data. And then what I do is I, as I load in that data, I pull in anything, anyone that's already checked in from the database and then I update the UI based on that. So when someone says check-in, puts a new database thing in there. And to me, I did it this way because that event is always changing all the time. There's new events and Mm -hmm. and after the event's done, no one cares about it anymore. Like it's kind of throwaway. So why persist the entire um, event? data? Yeah. So just a big problem, synchronizing a large object graph from a server, unless you just start copying whole tables and things like that. Exactly. So, Exactly. So you could imagine like when it, when meetup.com sends me back this JSON blob, it's a lot of information about my user, but Mm -hmm. all I really care about is the event ID and the user ID. Like that's my data model. That's in the database (laughs) is like very simple strings. Like this user checked in, or is it a new user? And this is the name that we've assigned to it. So it's very simple. And that's how I, when I thought about what information do I need to persist? I thought about, well, some of these settings are very simple. So I don't need a Mm -hmm. database for the, the token, the refresh tokens or anything. Um, and then yeah. I went a little bit further there. Yeah. Well, I, I like that. Uh, a few points there. Um, synchronizing stuff is hard. And so if you're only storing a small amount of information, you make the problem smaller. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good trick. Yeah. So actually, I think it was very smart of you to just store the minimal amount of information, especially given your use case. People are connected at the time. And you know, Frank, over the years, you're like I'm in that scenario of what information do I want to persist? And I never had it as easy as I do now, because when I started development, there was actually multiple databases and Windows Phone didn't really support SQLite. And for Windows Phone specifically, five years ago was the first time I had to worry about migrations, um, which kind of blew my mind. And then when I got introduced to SQLite, I didn't have to. So I think 
will be kind of nice to walk through, if you will, is, I mean, you created SQLite-net, you've gone through migrations, you've gone through this. Maybe you could kind of walk through the process of the issues yeah. with normal databases, kind of the ORMs that are out there and hand, how these are handled. I'd be interested <laughs> on your input. It's a big topic, It's um, but we can start in a few places. Um, let's start with um, migrations kind of work in two different places. For those who aren't familiar, databases are very rigid. They need schemas. They know need to know what type of data they're storing, and you have to update that schema, and that's often a scary and dangerous thing to do because you can easily delete data or uh, add missing data. On top of that, with ORMs and anything else, you're always trying to keep the database in sync with your code. And so this whole problem of keeping the database type system matching your object-oriented language type system is a big problem. And it's a compounded problem when you're building something like a website where you have a lot of people working on it. Each one's working on a little zone. They want to make little changes to little tables, things like that. And it just becomes this nightmare of managing what is the actual schema on the server and getting the code bases to match it. And so <laughs> I knew that problem from web development, and I did not want to deal with that in mobile apps. Yeah, the first time I had to do it, I was like, um, well, I remember I remember the first time it failing. <laughs> That's what I remember. What? My library? No, no, no. This was so back in the day, um, back in the day, for Windows Phone, this is before like 7 or 8.0 or whatever, when you could use SQLite, you had to use some like SQL compact framework and you had to handle migrations. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. happened was, is that for Android and iOS, I was using SQLite-net and I didn't have any issues with migration because it handled it with me. So what, essentially, think of it like this, is I have a person and it has a first name and last name. Now I'm like, this person also has a phone number. Uh, so I add the phone number property. The problem with for like for iOS and Android using SQLite Net, which handles auto migrations basically for you, is the user upgrades. I create the table. The ORM looks and says, hey, I need this new column. I'm going to go add this new column. And it basically handles it for you. The problem is if things don't handle the migration, you then need to say, well, that was version one. I've added this new property on this thing. This is version 1.2. And then we need to migrate some data like on app startup or else on a on an upgrade from app version 1.0 to 1.1 where you change the schema crash <laughs> you know it can't it doesn't know the data it doesn't understand the database did i get that right or did i get that wrong uh no you you nailed it um that's the terrible scenario though that's that's exactly the scenario i try <laughs> to avoid like the plague um yeah you you see in the fancy migration solutions the ones geared toward the web they actually have scripts to bounce between very discrete versions of the database so when the database is at this version it should have these tables at this version these tables at this version these tables and the theory there i guess is you could do your migrations forwards and backwards you could roll a database forward roll, uh, bring bring it up and you could test all of that and so before you deployed your app uh your v2 of your app or whatever your deployment would be tested you would have um well a would be baked into an orm and hopefully that orm is tested but yeah. in, in general hopefully it would work <laughs> yes and but at this at the same time, um, you can do a lot of things to make migrations uh, less painful. And the general rule is just never delete columns, <laughs> only yeah, add to yeah. the database. Simple as that. Don't rename things, period. Yes. Yeah, that, that's kind of like I learned my lessons early on of trying to remove stuff or add things. Mm -hmm. what, we did for the, <laughs> what we did for the Evolve app was 
Um, we said, because uh, so this is kind of interesting because now we're living in like, we, we kind of cover like the why I like ORM so much because I don't want to write pure SQL and it handles some of these migration stuff. The mm. problem is also there's a lot of different SQLites or not, sorry, a lot of different ORMs out there. So for instance, in my apps for let's say the Evolve app, I'm using um, SQLite net or I'm using the Azure stuff, which uses SQLite essentially migrations and all that SQLite net kind of ORM for you. But then on the server, I'm using like Entity Framework, which is like a code mm. first uh, shenanigans. <laughs> Um, I don't, people love EF, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I can't ever get into it. I'm just not a web <laughs> EF person. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Um, but in that instance, right now we have two different ORMs kind of working a little bit different where on the phone, it's like, cool, add as much stuff as you want. But then on the server, it's all like, um, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and then you have to do migrations. And I'm like, I don't want to worry about migration. So what uh-huh. we did for the Evolve app is we said, all right, so during dev, every single time we change the scheme, drop the entire database and then create a new database. And then Bravo. <laughs> for production, we said once we push a production, we're never making a change to the database ever again. Uh-huh. And we didn't. <laughs> so we added additional properties where we could shove additional data that had nothing to do with anything. Oh my God. <laughs> Pretty great. Okay, um, I'm going to say that's an anti pattern. Just gonna <laughs> go out on a limb. <laughs> yeah, most likely you'll we're... never be in the case where you can ever do that. But I was lucky enough. Like Pierce and I were working on it, and we're like, never. Just we're just gonna delete the database, delete all of it. Yeah. I don't even care. Reboot every every time we change the schema. Because um, we during development we were changing it all the time, and we we're having all these migrations. We had like twelve migrations of EF, and I'm like, I don't even know what it did. Um, yeah. And, and uh, okay, migrations so... can slow stuff down. So. I, I I completely understand where you're coming from, especially in the development case. Uh, yeah, you're going to blow through migrations. In fact, I opened this thing by saying I started writing yet another ORM because I was dealing with that exact problem. I was, I'm creating a new website on a Linux server, and I decided I'm going to use .NET Core. I'm going to oh use ASP.NET Core. I'm going to use all the most moderner stuff. You're not going to use Entity it's Framework be awesome. Core? Uh, yeah, EF core. EF core. Uh, what did I say? How many other cores can we get in there? Core CLR. Uh, All the cores. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. mean, why would you want to stop with eight cores when you can get 16 cores? <laughs> yeah, just keep adding it. Uh, so I was excited because you got to keep up. And I wanted to make sure I still understood how everything works. And oh, mm-hmm. my God, things do change. EF has changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, even ASP. ASP.NET has changed quite a bit over the years. Mm-hmm. But Golly, I walked into EF. I'm like, I'm going to have a completely open mind. I'm going to read all the tutorials. I'm just going to live and breathe this thing. And I have gotten myself into the migration mess like four or five times, and I've dropped the database. I would admit it. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, if people don't know what Entity Framework is, I mean, there's, there's Entity Framework 6, I guess, 5 and 6, then Entity Framework Core. And it's an ORM. It's very popular, I guess, with ASP.NET development, I would say. It was, I mean, that's probably where it's most popular. I guess even desktop development, too. It's the Microsoft mark. recommended one, it seems. Anytime you do a new ASP.NET project, it generates all this EF code for you, and it just kind of dumps it in your face. But that's cool. I figure, well, you know, the, the whole point is Microsoft's backing it, so I'll use the mm-hmm. thing that's uh, 
really compatible. And I, I should put be clear that I'm using EF in a funny mode because I am using it on Linux. I'm, I tried using it with SQLite and then MySQL. EF in a lot of ways, I'm sure works perfectly fine with SQL Server, but yeah. with these other providers, it gets uh, a little nutty. I see. And, and, yeah. and EF is very similar to SQLite Net, which is code first. Like I've said it no. a few times, but no, it's no, not code it's first. Not. Oh my God! They they are okay. I'm not. I'm going to get myself into trouble for this, but uh, they seem to was... be going around the merry-go-round. Oh yeah, they are code first, except for mm. EF Core, which is not code first, but has uh... elements of code first. So they're in this really half-baked scenario. Half-baked's not even right. This limbo land of um, some of it is done code first, as in you declare a bunch of objects in your code, and mm. maybe you put a few tags on different properties of it. And primary that, key, foreign mm-hmm. key, things like yep. that. And from that, and this is what you said, the thing it does like SQLite, it generates the database schema from that. Mm-hmm. Great. Wonderful. I love it. Perfect. Yeah. Except they tore all that stuff out in uh, Entity Framework Core. Mm. Not all of it, but key parts of it for sure. Uh, mm. Like you can't create indices anymore with just putting an attribute on things. What? And so it becomes this mix of some of it is code first generated. Other parts you have to use their funny schema language, which they call the Fluent API, which, mm. oh my God, you need a cheat sheet for because it makes absolutely no sense to my little brain. <laughs> and so you get this mixture of um, uh, uh, Fluent stuff, your own data declarations, a thousand migration things things and each migration contains an upcode and downcode and each migration also comes with a snapshot of the schema of the database <laughs> so throughout your code you have all these snapshots of your database and it just oh what a mess okay. it makes uh, i get I'm, it migration's I'm, hard but uh. yeah i'm seeing this now so so essentially i want to kind of walk through this code first versus this fluent api because i'm now reading the fluent api document okay. so code first was like i have a person and maybe I have an ID and I put primary key on toppers or index right. this. And it and it just picks it up when I run it, when I create the table. Fluent API, I'm looking at this now as you create this model builder. And I would say mm-hmm. entity of like office of person has key T, T dot ID. And then I could say has required max length. And I'm, and I'm essentially building up. It's like a builder pattern. If anyone's in a builder mm-hmm. pattern. So I build this up on this builder model builder. And then I create it, I guess. And then it yeah. knows how to do it. That seems very... I guess everything's in one place, but it seems a little bit backwards to me. Yeah, and it's just another way of writing SQL. They they have mm-hmm. like funny little fluent names and method names and that kind of line up with SQL, but not exactly. So if you know mm-hmm. SQL, it can drive you a little bit batty. Yeah. Uh, but really for me, it was, I just don't want to do any of that. The whole point of an ORM for me is to do the dirty work, right? Yeah. Like yeah, I just want to just write the classes. SQL. Yeah, or exactly. else I just write the SQL, yeah. Or I'll go modify the database myself. I'll go manage the schema myself. But mm. I kind of expect that out of an ORM to just do it for me. Yeah. Now, have you have you have you had any luck with any other um, ORMs? Like I've I've used basically ADO.net, which is not the the one that we ship, which is kind of not an ORM. Just kind of those raw SQLs. I've used SQLite. Mm-hmm. I've used EF a little bit, but way back in the day, I think when I worked at mm-hmm. Canon or something, I was not, we'd hold DBA. So the DBA did a lot of this stuff and we had interfaces upon interfaces that made, made sure that I was about <laughs> 10 feet away at any given point from the actual database schema. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. I, haven't really, I haven't really used anything else, have you? 
yeah. Uh, but first, I'll, I'll go back real quick and say um, I use EF. When EF is not doing migrations, it's actually quite fine. So I'll say I've actually been quite successful with EF. It's just frustrating when you're trying to change the database. Uh, on that note, yeah. though. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree. I'm going to agree with that, too, because mm-hmm. that's how we were with the Evolve app. Like, when I use, we use core, not not core uh, EF, just normal EF, I think six, mm-hmm. and it was great. Like it handled code yeah. first, did everything. Just yeah, it does all your link queries. It, uh, mm-hmm. what? it doesn't seem to corrupt the data. What more can you ask for? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I want. Just don't corrupt my data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so have I used others successfully? Uh, I'm going to go back to the web server and just say I once ported SQLite-net to use all database providers so it could work with anything supported by ADO.net. And that was awesome. And I really got to go dig up that code now that I rem- <laughs> I'm remembering that. Um, so I, I used that successfully, but that's cheating because that was my own library. In the past, I also used nHibernate, but I have to admit, it's been so long, I don't really remember much about it, other than it must have been fine, because I don't remember any, like, war stories or anything. Yeah. I haven't really... There's so many, I'm assuming. Like, I'm looking right now at... um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for lists of object relational mapping software. Uh, yeah, you know, I, and I was looking at that same list and half of them I don't I've never even heard of. I want to give one more shout out, though, uh, for Dapper, which is uh, a library released by the Stack Exchange team. And it's it's kind of what I was trying with SQLite. It's just a, uh, additions to ADO.net. So you're still programming ADO.net, but it takes care of a lot of the annoying parts that are, well, annoying. Uh, as far as I know, though, it doesn't handle migrations for me. So that's oh, okay. a, gotcha. little, yeah, gotcha. a little hit. How would you how, how would you compare stuff to in core data, like a core Objective-C Cocoa uh, iOS mm. API? Because you use, you use core data directly. Yeah, right? yeah. The it's truth great... is, <laughs> I've actually never used core data to its full extent. Anytime mm. I've used these other libraries, uh, just so people know, core data is Apple's solution to this problem uh and it sits on top of sql sql light right yeah technically at least yeah. the most modern version i think it's actually able to support other engines but mm. yeah the default is definitely sql light uh well i should say it also works on icloud <laughs> too mm. <laughs> some and other extents but uh, <laughs> i always use them in the most cheaty way because i'm just so afraid of doing proper queries over the internet things like that i just yeah I don't trust ORMs, to be honest. <laughs> Even though you've created, that's, is it maybe that's why you've created so so many ORMs? That yeah, because I can trust ORMs? them. No, no, it's because I can trust those ones. I know what mm. those ones are doing, the other ones. Which I should, guess I should start with my first uh, pro tip for everyone out there. If you're using an ORM, the very first thing you want to figure out is how to turn on its logging tracing mode so you can see exactly which SQL commands it's actually executing. Because especially with something big like Entity Framework, where it's handling so much for you, you really don't know the performance of anything, pretty much anything that you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just um, there was there was always this debate of you know back in the day before we had like async await type programming, was that I used to just do everything on the main thread, right? So you just mm. you know insert stuff into the database and like it'll work. And I'm never really inserting hundreds of thousands of columns at a time. So it's always pretty fast. And then everything moved to async await. So it's kind of in this background task. And, you know, if you're doing it on the, 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 the UI thread, um, in that instance, or even if you do do a task.run or something, 
I always lock my objects to make sure things mm-hmm. aren't trying to access things at the same time. But now we're in this kind of new world where maybe there's background services running and there's other <laughs> things trying to insert and things should go into some sort of stack, I guess. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, won't one of your eight layers handle that for you? Isn't that what they do? Yeah, you would essentially the exactly <laughs> one of the 18 layers should, should probably handle that for me at some point and i'm not i'm not positive <laughs> that's, that's when you get over architected i like to keep it really simple it's just an interface of like i data manager and i have a data yeah. manager that does some generic inserts and deletes mm-hmm. and things like that i don't know yeah that that layer is fine that's if you want to um just be decoupled from that s- storage model i do want to go back to what you said though about executing the sql light on the uh or anything, just executing things on the main thread because, oh, what a simple world that was. Yes, all the time we would lock up people's UIs, but gosh, those were good times. <laughs> well, I want to get a little bit deeper into the world of ORMs and kind of performance because it's kind of where we're heading. But uh, I want to, of course, thank one of our sponsors uh, of Merge Conflict uh, before we go on a little bit further. And that is our good friends, BitRise. We They're know back them once and again. Love them. We love them so much. Uh, And people don't know what BitRise is. Frank and I love BitRise. We've been using BitRise for a long time. Um, They're essentially every single thing that you need for continuous integration and delivery for mobile apps. It gives you all those layers in a workflow, (laughs) like all these layers (laughs) of things to do. Now, here's what I love about BitRise is that one, they're going to support your iOS, Android, and Xamarin applications and Mac applications um, and libraries, whether it's written in Objective-C, Java, Swift, C-sharp, doesn't matter. They even support like React Native and Cordova. They support all these different frameworks that are out there. Um, And it honestly takes minutes. I would say sub minutes to get up and running with BitRise. It is crazy. You just point it at a GitHub repo or Git repo or Bitbucket or whatever. And it just, it scans it. It figures it all out and says, this is a Xamarin app. This is iOS. I'm going to build it. It can set up building, testing, and deployments. And what's really cool is that it will set up this default workflow, which are all these integrations. So by default, if it's a Xamarin app, it'll be like, oh, I'm going to get NuGets, restart uh, components. I'm going to build the app. I'm going to actually then publish this APK or IPA file to a test server so you can download it. Then you can start putting in all these other workflow um, integrations. And they they do like Fastlane integration, like um, Test Cloud integration. I mean, you name it, they, they have Slack integration, Twilio integration. You can just start adding these. You can create your own. So for instance, I built one that was to bump the version numbers um, of all my applications. So just boom, boom, boom. It's just a bash script that runs, takes my Android manifest XML, greps it, and, and, and updates the, the version number based on the build numbers. And then I can publish it to Hockey App. I can publish it to, to an email. I can do whatever I want, right? It's pretty much amazing. I love BitRise. They're uh, essentially uh, completely free to get up uh, up and running. They have a very generous free tier. That's 10 minutes of build time. You can build one one thing at a time, essentially, on the build servers. They handle, that's the thing is, they handle, Frank used to, used to tell me, oh, what, what hardware do I have to buy for to do this build? And I got to do this thing. BitRise handles it all. So they, they have all of the build servers, everything you need. It's all in the cloud. You don't have to buy anything. It's boom, good to go. Now, I have the pro plan. Do you have the pro plan, Frank? I just upgraded to it because Continuous finally broke that 10-minute mark. Can you believe it? It actually takes 10 minutes to build. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually like to set up stuff for like, here's my iOS app, here's my Android app, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the pricing is, is, is really, I mean, really, really easy to get started. You have a pro plan, which essentially is starts at 50 bucks a month. And that gives you unlimited team members, up to 45 minutes of build time, as many builds as you want. 
and you have these things called concurrencies. So you can kind of say, how many machines do I want? Like, do I, do I want to be able to run eight builds of continuous at the same time? <laughs> you know, you can, you can do that. Burn down um, the, the world. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and to be honest, the pro plan is great. Um, and you know, the, the, the free, the free tier is great too. So start there, give it a, a shot. But for listeners of merge conflict, we have a special, special deal. If you go to bitrise.io slash merge conflict, you'll get $25 off the pro plan. So instead of it being $50 for your first month, 25 bucks, give it, a, give it a shot. Um, whenever you want to go, you can use coupon code resolve hyphen conflict. It's on the, the, the website. When you go to bitrise.io slash merge conflict, check out bitrise. We love them. Highly encourage you check them out. Um, bitrise.io slash merge conflict. Love them. Thanks bitrise. Thank you. Bitrise. Love you. Um, so performance, when, when we talk about performance, um, one thing that we did early on with SQLite is we started doing a whole bunch of indexes on different um, columns and then also like multi things when I had to query large chunks of data and all this stuff. Because um, I think inserts and deletes and updates are really quick, right? Like those things are going to be pretty quick. I'm not really worried yeah. about that. What I'm worried about is when I say, Frank, oh, I am a DVR and I need to get back. Give me the next mm-hmm. thousand records. And I need, <laughs> uh, for those records, I also need the next you know, seven records uh, of the shows that are on for each of those channels. So now we're seven times 100, that's 700. And if I have 1,000 channels, it's 7,000 records coming yeah. back. How do I make that fast? Yeah. Uh, let's throw inner joints into that mix too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, where to break this down? Let me start with, um, I, I'm not even going to answer your question. I'm going to dodge it first. Uh, People often ask me, I'm trying to do a query of the database using your engine, and it's returning 10,000 rows, and it's taking one second. Why, why isn't it faster? And the engineering answer is I can say, well, the I.O. system is slow. The library goes through uh, reflection. Reflection can be slow. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons. But then I like to tell the person, but you're doing it wrong. You do not query (laughs) on a mobile app, any app, app, a a thing meant for human consumption. You do not present humans with 10,000 rows of data. You just don't. (laughs) Now, I can understand if you need 10,000 rows of data in order to generate a chart or a graphic or something Mm -hmm. like that. But that's something you put into the background. That's something that, you know, it can take one second to execute. Uh, Never display a table view of 10,000 rows. That's just stupid. Put a search box at the top and let people search. People know how to search. Let them search. Yeah, so page, that, that's my right? first page. dodge. Yeah. <laughs> page. page. Yeah, well, paging too. Paging's easy. Um, but even then, like, page up to a few hundred. But why are yeah. you presenting a list of 10,000 items? That's just wrong. It's just flat wrong. Okay, but now <laughs> we can actually get into it. So all the all the slow things. What's slow? Joins are slow. Um, anything that's normally in a database that can normally... Um, all, all the SQL knowledge. We have SQL knowledge from years. All the stuff that you think is slow is definitely slow. <laughs> times 10 on mobile. <laughs> what can you do to avoid it, to improve it? Uh, like I said, query less data. Uh, cache things, do the heavy query once. Well, that's cheating again, but <laughs> uh, create views, create indices, do traces, look at every where column you have. Generally speaking, in a database like SQLite, uh, you can just index everything. <laughs> it's not something you really want to do on like a big server or anything. Yeah. And 
indices definitely make the database grow in size. But unless you're storing like billions of columns or something, you know, one picture I take on my iPhone is four or eight megabytes. And yeah. that's a lot of indices you can fit into four or eight megabytes. Yeah. So I'm just saying you, you got room. Don't worry about it. Just start yeah. in- indexing everything. Your, your database is, is not your memory concern on no, your mobile device. Because like, it's not blob storage, right? You're only just storing simple data. Like my database sizes are, I mean, they're under a meg, right? They're tiny. Yeah, I mean, unless you're doing something that has a thousand bajillion columns, then question yourself, why do I have a thousand <laughs> columns in this thing? Um, because you probably are trying to do some weird code sharing between your server models and your mobile models, mm-hmm. or you're trying to bring in everything, store only what you need um, that you're going to actually display to your your user interface. This is the same yeah. thing. Um, people ask me, oh man, I'm, I'm making this web request to the server and it's really slow. And I go, okay, well, what's your query? And I go, here's the query. And let's say I'm just meetup manager. It's like, oh, give me all the, the people for this login. All right, so it's literally going to return by default, everything that's on by default. So it's like, I'm going to return a hundred people and all their information and Mm -hmm. all the subnodes under it. Well, that's because you're doing that query wrong. What you want to do is you want to create a nice tight query that says only give me back the X, Y, Z. Like, so for meetup manager, I say, I need the person's photo, um, um, which is just a string, like a, a URL. I need their name and I need a unique ID. So return me those three properties, and then the server goes and handles all that because it has all the data. Mm-hmm. I don't need that much data, right? Because it's very that's all I'm going to display in the user interface ever. I'm never going to display anything more. So that's what I store into my database locally, like a very nice, tight, really small, compact information mm-hmm. um, that's there. That's yeah. how I get good perf. I mean, in general, yeah, page, um, less data. It's always less data, right? Just don't, yeah. don't display all the data. Um, someone, someone once emailed me well, all the time and they're like, Hey, you know, this, this list view is really, really slow. You know, I've added, uh, you know, 10,000 things yeah. in this thing. I'm like, it's slow. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. literally 10,000 objects that you've created into memory. That is going to be slow. <laughs> so yeah, you got to turn to them and say, not only is it slow, but it's terrible user interface. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, cause most, most, most people love to scroll through 10,000 records. That's how I do yeah. it personally. But um, I just think about the contacts app. I only have a couple hundred contacts, but even then I can't scroll through that. I refuse to, you know, it's cute that they show me that big list, but in practicality, it's useless. Yeah. Yeah. Basically useless. Now you're talking about like joins and indexes and stuff like that is, uh, I mean, the ORM, the SQLite net, like a, it kind of tells you how to add the little properties and things like that. Um, I, I guess what I always thought was slow and maybe you have a recommendation to speed up was, mm-hmm when I had a parent object talking to a child object, right? Where I needed to get both of them at the same time, or I needed to get some correlation. And that's usually when things slow down in my personal opinion, when there's a lot of those, but also because you're multiplying, if you want to take 20, then you might have 20 underneath those. So is there optimizations there that we can do, Frank? Well, I'll, I'll go right out and say SQLite is a little deficient in this category. These are foreign keys and one-to-many relationships and many-to-many relationships, which require you um, getting data from multiple tables. That's a very difficult problem for an ORM to handle and to do well. And so mine doesn't try to do it at all. <laughs> Plain and simple. <laughs> Solve that problem. Yeah. So I put the onerous on the programmer, the user, you to do those joins kind of manually. 
and part of that definitely was uh, laziness or incompetence, like I just said. Um, but another part is it does simplify. It encourages you to do caching outside the da- outside of the database to do. Um, that sounds that sounds terrible. What I just said was my slow library encourages you to do caching outside of it. My my, my library okay. encourages you encourages you not to use my library um, and rethink okay. everything that you know yeah. about ORMs. Question everything that you know, your job, uh, decisions in your life. Yeah, it's a good library. <laughs> so no, I would say that um, um, in general, those are the hardest relationships. And I generally try to uh, devise pretty flat databases where, A, the relationships are very simple. Uh, they're very, uh, this one owns this object. And in that case, I could load it in quickly and keep it loaded in for the most part. For the most part, how I use databases, is I try to keep objects around for a little bit of time. There's two kind of strategies there. But in the case of keeping objects around all the time, you can cache values so that you're not constantly requiring them. The downside is you have to uh, move that object all around your app and it becomes very difficult. You don't have a centralized database anymore. If yeah. you want to keep the database as the holy truth, the you know one and only source of data, then yeah, joins, joins, they're always a pain. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I try to always stay away from joins because I was like, okay, Am I overly, am I, am I making my database too complex? Like for this mobile application, if I have to start worrying yeah. about joins and parent child relationships yeah. and, and, and normally what I do is I just have some, some IDs and I can, if I grab the event ID, then I have, I literally have a, I have an event table and I have a check-in table mm-hmm. and the event has a unique ID. And then when I add a check-in there, that check-in also has that ID. So now my event does not have a list of check-ins, but there is a, a table of check-ins for all of them where the mm-hmm. index is the event ID. So now yep. I can go say, hey, from this event table or from the check-in table, grab me all of the check-ins for this event. Yep. And that's kind of how I did it. And I didn't really worry about joins or that's kind of my join, right? But yep. I didn't make the query in a join. I just said, there's a property that literally equals this, go find it. And that made yep. it easy. And that's exactly how I do it, uh, so much so that I'm actually going to add a few more functions to the <laughs> connection class that'll make this even simpler. So kind of like a poor person's join. So it's not doing a full join, but it's handling this most common case because what you just described is definitely, definitely the most common case. Yeah. I just queried a bunch of data. These are essentially the items I want, but there's this ancillary data over here that I would love to mix in. And that's just such a common scenario. Yeah. And then what, what I like to do a lot too is, is uh, when for the Evolve app is, I get this question a lot, which is not only how do I optimize my application, but is there a way to share code with the server? I kind of mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this episode is going to go long, which I'm totally okay with because we don't usually go long on episodes. <laughs> but we have a few more topics that I really want to cover because we get the, I get this question all the time. It's like, hey, even Miguel was on stage talking about, hey, like this app is going to share some some models, mm-hmm. some logic with the back end. How realistic is that, honestly, <gasps> in your opinion? And then I'll give you my opinion. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you my hope. My hope is that someday it'll be incredibly realistic. And that's exactly how software will be written. I've kind of been working on this problem of synchronizing your app's data with server data forever. And by working on it, I mean completely failing at a solution that I'm happy with. So yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I think, 
it's hard uh, for the Evolve app. We did it because we literally had the correct, the the exact same email or the exact same information on server. And then the only difference was what they inherited from. So I kind of had to create mm. a shared project and then link them in that way. So we could inherit okay. from the different base object in a way. Yeah. Um, and that worked fairly well. Um, but then I've looked at anyone, like anyone architecting really big applications that go outside from just a mobile backend and this and this and this, um, um, like more and more projects. Like there's all, it's not just sharing between servers, sharing all this other stuff is I just ended up seeing just duplication of the, the models, which is kind of sad, yeah. but mm-hmm. it, it ended up being what it was. I always liked them to be the same in a shared project just for the fact that I don't know the naming of it. If it is code first, if I, you know, do things in different, you know, Pascal or camel case on accident or something like that, or spell (laughs) something incorrectly that made it really tricky. And that's what I really wanted. But then I keep seeing Mm -hmm. time and time again, um, that people just duplicate the model over and over again. So I don't know. And I think one of the reasons I keep failing at this is I think that the server and the client simply have different needs. And so you can define a data model and really try to push it through. This is exactly why I ported SQLite Net to work on the server, because I wanted this. I wanted these exact uh, code share between the two things. But it turns out that servers have different requirements than apps. You know, the things that are efficient on a server may not be efficient for the app. And so I've kind of given up on this whole, the low-level data structures used by the app must match the low-level data structures um, from the server. Instead, what I actually try to do is match my um, app's data structures to the API that the server presents. Mm, And I think that that's a little bit smarter and safer. That way the server people can hack away and do whatever they need and and not change the API. Yeah, and that way specifically, I've seen a lot of times, like I got lucky with the with the Evolve app that I didn't have to do very much, but um, where I've seen that there's a actual API and then there's a mobile API, which is kind of a mm. subset of the API, which allows you to really keep the mobile app and then um, your, your web API in sync. So for instance, because you could be adding new stuff for a website and doing all this new stuff and maybe the mobile app doesn't need it. So that lets you update your website and update, oh, I just hit, literally ding the, the mic. I got really excited about this topic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then you can update the website, update whatever you want, but it's not going to impact the mobile application or else you could run into some mm-hmm. weird regressions, right? And that'd be scary. Yeah. Uh, and so basically I've just become, if you're doing something over the wire between two machines, it has to be, you have to design the interface and that interface should be close to your data model, but don't strive to have them one for one. It's like an ideal world scenario, but it turns out that ideal world's got its own problems. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, we talked a lot about SQL. Uh, yeah. I've been using SQL forever in general, that's just kind of where I started at Canon, where I went on at Seton. What I use now is just SQL everywhere. Is that kind of your de facto? I guess as a .NET developer, <laughs> that's how I kind of seen it. But when I look in Azure, there's like all this other stuff. And then when I go outside of the .NET ecosystem, there's all sorts of different databases. I mean, obviously there's no SQL, but there's yeah. SQL. 
and no sequel and other <laughs> it's things. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There's no sequel. Yeah. Um, I'll actually say that uh, one of the very first reasons I started using .NET on the iPhone was because I was writing an app in Objective-C and it had to do a lot of database work and it was getting very frustrating. They don't have a good meta object. It was, mm. it was just getting frustrating. And so the first thing I did with .NET was start accessing databases. So I would say years ago, it was my starting point. Nowadays, I have a few more problems, though. Uh, the kind of apps I write tend to be file-based. The user's creating something. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, well, they're just creating something. And that's fine. That all can go into a database. But the problem becomes, well, you want to share that file with someone else now. Not just sharing it with a server, but let's say just putting a link to it from Twitter or, Mm -hmm. you know, copying it to the file system, things like that. And so for all my latest apps, I've needed a way to serialize objects uh, to files, basically. And I figured, well, if I'm writing that code once, I might as well just depend on it. And so the apps actually don't make use of the database for the main data that's Mm -hmm. in files instead but i use a database for everything caching and whatever else the app needs so are you using some sort of other database or is this file like json to a disk and then you yeah json to a disk i mean that's the it's it's because i write document-based apps these aren't like your meetup manager it's not an app that's just Mm -hmm. um, mirroring data and presenting data to you these are things where I want it to be able to be checked into Git. You know, it needs to be a file and it needs ideally to be a text file. And yeah, so you're you're stuck with the old formats. Is that something that perhaps um, that like document DB or MongoDB Mm -hmm. could handle in that instance? Because those are more like kind of blobby ish. Yeah, in the NoSQL world, there's also the uh, concept of an object-oriented database that gets rid of the whole need for the object-to-relational mapper. Instead Mm -hmm. of having a relational database, you have an object database. I've tried a few of those over the years. In general, I can say they're perfectly fine. Um, Again, with (laughs) this is getting back to kind of to the server thing. With file formats on a disk, you don't necessarily want that to 100% mirror your in-memory data structures. And the reasons are simple. Uh, your app's going to change over time, but you can't change the file format. Once you've released a file format, it's baked. Like, uh, yeah, you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, hmm. so you're just not going to go back. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, this is the fun world of databases, essentially. Got to try and them data. all. And data. <laughs> it's yeah, just all I, a mess. <laughs> I definitely, um, oh, man. So I remember the last Evolve app, 2014 not the last last but the previous that one we did file based we we mm. th- for some reason i'm not going to go into to, to things but we were working with a few other devs and just the, the 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 data coming from the server was very huge blob of json <laughs> like we'll just you know deserialize that and yeah. unserialize what that could go wrong <laughs> everything because it ends up being like a five meg file that you want to send and download and synchronize and becomes very tedious so i will say like the biggest issue we had in that process was that there was really no database and it was just this big blob of storage and that gets really Mm -hmm. slow not only to download but also to store to disk and read from disk and things can happen all over the place so think about these things kind of the orms the migrations you know, some of the tweaking of your code that you may want. If you need a database, if it's just simple settings and storage, use my settings plugin, problem solved. <laughs> That's what I say. Because um, <laughs> yeah. we have NS user defaults, we have shared preferences, we have isolated yeah. storage to do this stuff. 
Um, don't try to store your entire JSON blob in one of those settings. Mm -hmm. When you get to that point, when you're like, I really just, I have this huge data object and I just really want to two string it and, and, <laughs> and serialize that. And then, you know, unserialize yeah. or like use JSON convert to and from once you've done that, something has gone awry and that's when you need a database. So store that in a database, but up <laughs> yeah. until that point, you're good probably. Um, yeah, that's and, my guidelines. <laughs> I, I no, I, I'm on the exact same page as you. Mm -hmm. In general, I love key value stores. NoSQL. Yeah. That, that's the most basic NoSQL key value Bad. stores. Yeah, um, iCloud has very simple native support for it. Uh, there's a million services out there. There's what Redis and blah blah blah. Yeah, uh, I say they Redis. basically I say Redis. <laughs> oh, you say Redis? whatever. Redis. Redis yeah, cache or Redis I don't know cache? where I got that pronunciation from. Yeah. Some words you just never say out loud. Um, <laughs> but uh, on that line, uh, the, the other place where NoSQL starts to fall apart for me is when you try to start querying it. If you're not just getting something by key, and that's when they all start to get very funky and they all start to invent their own kind of query languages. And I'm like, well, if I'm just going to write a query in a query language, then maybe I'll use the SQL query language. <laughs> yeah. It's old and true and simple. <laughs> and it works. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Any other uh, tips and tricks from the Frank Kruger before we get out of here? Oh my God. No. Um, and on the topic of migrations, remember you don't have to add columns. These are relational databases. Just create another table and relate it to your other table. Stop That's messing true. with existing tables. Just add new <laughs> ones. <laughs> Well, there you have it. There's the tips and tricks. There's the, the there's your database uh, merge conflict right there. Um, <laughs> Long one. Love it. Yeah. Uh, we we also would love to hear from you. What what did what are you guys using? What do you what do you guys and gals like to use? Uh, have you had struggles with Frank SQLite Net? Let him know. I'm sure <laughs> file an issue on his GitHub. We'll link it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, you know, we love hearing feedback from our users. When you go to mergeconflict.fm. There's obviously links to iTunes and all that other stuff. We have a Twitter account, Merge Conflict FM. We have a Facebook. We have an email address. You can email us directly. We'd love to hear what you want to want to hear on the podcast, um, just like we we did last week for the design one. Um, more than anything, we would really love um, some iTunes reviews. We don't ask for them often. We're just in the mood right now because I'm closing out the show. If you use iTunes, give us a good review. If you like the podcast, if you don't, don't leave a review. Tell us why by emailing us. <laughs> if you use Overcast, big fan of the Overcast, recommend the podcast to your buddies um, and uh, share, share the merge conflict with the world. Um, we would appreciate that. And of course, a big, huge thanks to our big sponsor, BitRise, bitrise.io slash merge conflict. Go check that out. Without further ado, I am James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.